Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Reformed Dissenters. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for listening to us and watching us. We really appreciate it. We hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving. Uh, I know uh, we certainly did. Um, we were all over the place this Thanksgiving, so that was that was a lot of fun. My name is Bruce Johnson, and I'm joined in, uh, actually, I'm not joined in South Dakota by uh, Joe Lasseter, is not here today, unfortunately, but I am joined by my brother, Jacob Johnson, back in Pennsylvania. So uh, it is just us two holding down the fort today. So um, don't forget, you can share this show, and we would appreciate if you would share this show with as many people as you can by uh, going to our website, which is trdshow.net, and uh, grabbing that link and sharing it with as many people as you possibly can. That would be so, so very helpful to us. Uh, we'd love it if you could share it with at least one or two people. Um, and if you've already done that, thank you so much for helping us grow our audience. <clears throat> You can email the show, uh, and you can send us questions, you can send us comments, uh, words of encouragement, um, verses. Maybe if you, uh, you're like, oh, this would be a cool verse of the day sometime, verse of the week. Uh, you can send all of that stuff to us at our email address, which is trdshow at protonmail.com. Again, that's trdshow at protonmail.com. Um, and as we always say, if you're interested in hearing us do deep dives into some of the current events or just uh, some topics in general that we didn't uh, get a chance to talk about on the weekly show, you are going to have to follow us on our pro-First Amendment platforms, and that includes Gab, Gab TV, Rumble, and Odyssey. So make sure you follow us there. Also, if we get kicked off of YouTube or um, Apple censors us or all the podcasting platforms censor us, the only place you're going to be able to get our content is on those pro First Amendment platforms. So make sure you're at least following us there, even if you like to follow us on some of the other platforms because it's more convenient. Certainly do that as well. You can follow us on more than one platform. That's totally an option. Um, <laughs> but just know that when uh, we get censored, uh, and that's when, not if, when we get censored, uh, you will not be able to find us on YouTube anymore. And you'll be like, where did they go? And you're going to have to go to our pro First Amendment platforms, such as Rumble, Gab, and Odyssey to find us. So make sure you get ahead of that and do it all, Do it now. Um, so we posted a poll on our Gab page, and uh, we're going to be posting the results of that poll uh, on our Gab page as well. So if you're not following us on Gab, make sure you head over there right now. You pause the video, pause the podcast. You go to gab.com slash show, and uh, you can follow us on our Gab page. We post all sorts of stuff there, all sorts of resources, articles. Uh, well, not so much articles these days, but we were posting some there. Uh, we've got verse of the week uh, photos there, all sorts of stuff. So make sure you're following us on our Gab page if you aren't already. All right. So this month, our theme the dangers and evils of the government schools. I think we only have one or two weeks left with this theme. Yep. And um, first week of December, I believe, we're going to have a special guest on the show um, talking about uh, this theme as well. So uh, very exciting. The um, We've actually decided that we're going to be taking the month of December, except for the first week, we're going to be taking that month off and we'll be starting the show up again the second week of January. So there's going to be four or five, can't remember right off the top of my head, four or five uh, weeks where you will not hear from us. Very sad. Um, but you can take that opportunity to send us some emails, post on our Gab page or, or whatever. Um, I'm going to be heading back to Pennsylvania to visit Jake, so that's going to be very exciting. Visit my Johnson, the Johnson clan back home. Um, and so... Uh, that's uh, we we might do some deep dives. We we might do something there. So definitely follow us on our pro First Amendment platforms to uh, keep alert for that stuff. Um, all right, 
What's the show going to look like? What are we doing today? So, as always, we are going to be talking about the current events of the week. So much happened this week, but uh, we're actually going to keep this segment a little shorter than we usually do, just because we were all gone for the Thanksgiving uh, holiday, Thanksgiving weekend, so we didn't have a ton of time to prepare for this segment, so we focused our efforts on what we think is, is one of the most important segments, which is the next segment, which is Literature of the Month. Um, so we'll be talking most of the show about that segment. And for our literature this month, if you're just tuning in for the first time, our literature this month is uh, Millstones and Stumbling Blocks by Bradley Heath. And that ties really well into our theme, which again is the dangers and evils of the government schools. But before we get to those two things, we have to start by talking about the verse of the week. And our verse this week is Matthew 5.19. And Matthew 5.19 says, Therefore... Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So they're talking about um, laws, obviously, in this passage. And teaching is important. That's one of the emphasis. Um, this verse is emphasizing teaching, right? Whoever relaxes one of these and command uh, relaxes one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same uh, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So teaching is important. There is there is an importance in scripture all across scripture that is placed on teaching, um, teaching little ones, teaching uh, people in general, teaching from the church, teaching from this level, teaching from the church to the civil government. Teaching is vitally important. And we're talking this month specifically about teaching and, and, and education within the um, uh, within the family government, the family unit. And if teaching is this important for uh, adults, can you just imagine how important it is for formative, innocent children who have yet to absorb things from the world, right? So there, there's a the, the important part of this verse is that there's an importance placed on teaching. And we as parents, Christians, need to understand the importance that this has on their own children. So, all right. So let's get into our current events segment. And uh, Jake, we'll have you kick it off. All righty. So the headline that I'm going to be doing uh, this week is uh, Judge Rule's Local Missouri COVID-19 Orders Unconstitutional. Uh, and I will get Bruce's reaction to that headline. Wow. So read that headline again. There was, it was Missouri, you said, and it yep. was their local COVID-19 restrictions are unconstitutional. Right, right. So um, it's actually across the entire state, but every wow. county. Um, but uh, the Missouri COVID-19 orders are unconstitutional. Wow. That yeah. is really cool. So um, is that harking back to like, um, during the early phases of last year or, or even late phases of last year where there were all these mask mandates and social distancing and all of these different guidelines and all that kind of stuff? Or is this yeah. about vaccination? So I think, I think it entails both cool. and all of that. But, wow. um, Just one fell sweep. The article didn't specifically say, or at least I didn't see that. Okay. But um, it, it, what it said was the the mandates and the orders were, were unconstitutional no matter what they were. Um, but yeah. Wow. Wow. That is, that's really cool. 
that's really neat. So, so are there repercussions? Are there people who are going to face, you know, uh, penalties for, for what they did to those people or, um, all the, all the court said was that they have to get rid of these mandates okay. immediately. Gotcha. So, yeah. Cool. And, and so does that also set like precedents for the future? So does that mean like if they tried to do this again now, I know in Pennsylvania, um, in fact, I voted on, uh, you know, the, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania were able to vote against, um, you know, emergency powers for the governor and all of this kind of stuff. They put in a whole lot of really good stuff to bolster right. the Constitution in Pennsylvania so that this same thing couldn't happen again. Um, does this ruling impact like future potential future events in, in Missouri or? So knowing what what I kind of know about precedents and everything yeah, uh, I would think so, but the article didn't directly say that, and gotcha. I don't know if this is such a low enough, if this is a lower court, and so that precedence really doesn't have a standing. Ah, uh, okay. Um, so it was a it was a a local court that did this. It was a county court, hmm. so it wasn't on the state level. It wasn't a circuit court, and definitely not the Supreme Court. But, um, okay. Yeah. Wow. Very exciting. Yeah. Yep. So as this article uh, said, uh, this past Tuesday, a judge in Missouri ruled that the COVID-19 mandates are unconstitutional. Wow. So what exactly set this up was the health advisors. And uh, so it was actually two committees that um, gave power to uh, doctors and health officials, oh. uh, which are not constitutionally given to them. Wow! So it was it was powers that were given to them that shouldn't have been given given to them. Gotcha. Uh, so the so the court stepped in and ruled that these new orders and mandates given that were the mandates by these uh, health officials were not uh, constitutional. Nice. So does that, uh, that's probably the whole unelected bureaucrat nonsense, right? right? Where right. someone who you didn't elect them, you didn't put them there, and yet they have more control than the people that you put there. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very cool. Yeah. So this ruling was also backed, thankfully, by the Attorney General of Missouri. Uh, the Attorney General did not want to challenge the order but uh, he said he will enforce the court's ruling. Okay. So the court, yeah. yeah. Mixed the signals also, there, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? The court also did add uh, that these orders were unconstitutional, so they should be taken down immediately. Nice. Um, however, one county, oh, dear. which was run by a Democrat, will not be taking down their mandates wow. because they say that their that this case... Uh, was held in another county, and so they are not a party to that lawsuit. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. However, as another thing that this Democrat said is that there is another hearing in case uh, coming against them in St. Louis County, uh, and that will take place November 30th. Nice. So whether that's today or tomorrow, whenever this episode posts. But, uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully 
Wow. Goes well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. Yeah, I'm I'm conflicted because I on the one hand I'm like, all right, you know, counties making their own decisions, but on the other hand, it's like, well, counties can't decide to go against people's constitutional rights, like. That's right. not okay. Right. Like, I'm okay with you making your own decisions to a point, right? That's why liberty, not freedom, right? We have a fence, and you can't cross mm-hmm. that fence as a government official. In civil government, you've got a fence. you got to hold yourself to it, but right. they're not. So, yeah. What was the name of the county that's uh, resisting constitutional? St. Louis. St. Louis. Louis wow. County. If you live in St. Louis County... Get out. Make it hurt. Make it hurt. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Crazy. Anything else you want to add, Jake? Nope. Nope. That was the end. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for uh, bringing that to light. And as always, the positive news bringer. Look at that. Two weeks in a row now. <laughs> Sweet. We got some yeah. positive news for a change. Yeah. Um, in addition to the new COVID variant and all of the ridiculous nap- that followed this week, which I will not be talking about really um mostly because i still have yet to study it in depth myself i want to study it more myself but um i've Omicron heard about it variant. yeah it's like it's like who names these things like really <laughs> um so my article the headline is uh naturally immune people at little risk of reinfection um or severe disease from covid19 according to a study Uh, People who have recovered from COVID-19 are at little risk of contracting the disease again, according to a study published last week. And also, before I get into this, I do want to mention that um, Peter McCullough, on an interview with uh, Steve Dace a couple weeks back, said the same same thing. And he's treated, I think, over 150,000 COVID-19 patients. Um, He saw very, very little um, of people who previously had COVID-19 develop the antibodies to fight it catch it again. He, he didn't see that happen very often at all. Research, researchers at, uh, and I'm going to say Quatar, but there's no, it's Q-A-T-A-R. There's no U. So I'm just going to assume it's Quatar and people will, you can correct me, go for it. Uh, researchers at Quatar examined a cohort of over 353,000 people using national databases that contain information about patients with, uh, and then here we go. Let's see if I can say this right. Uh, poly... Polymerase, polymerase chain reaction confirmed infections. So if you know what that means, I'd love to know. (laughs) Um, After excluding approximately 87,500 people with a vaccination record. Um, So they had people in the study who were vaccinated and they they got them out of the study. Um, Just so that it's a pure study studying unvaccinated people with natural immunity. Researchers found that those with immunity due to having recovered from COVID-19, natural immunity, had little risk of reinfection or severe cases of the disease. Just 1,304 reinfections were identified. That means 0.4% of people with natural immunity and without a vaccination record got COVID-19 a second time. 0.4%. That's extraordinarily low. The odds of severe disease, right? So so that's just getting it, right? That could be asymptomatic. That could be a whole host of things. The odds of severe disease were 0.1 times that of primary infection, according to the study. Just four such cases were detected. So out of 353,000 people, only four of them had severe disease after catching it a second time. 
no cases of death were recorded among those who got infected a second time. The study was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. It was funded by, and here we go, a whole bunch of names. I'm going to say them anyways because it's important to say them, but uh, you should really just read this article and, and read them for yourself. <laughs> uh, but all right, so the first one's Wheel Cornell Medicine, uh, and, the, and that's Quatar. Quatar's Ministry of Public Health and Hamad Medical Corp. Hamad Medical Corp. And Sidra Medicine. So, you know. There you go. <laughs> so essentially, I read those because it's like, wow, this has been studied by a lot of people. It's been published by a lot of people, peer reviewed by a lot of people. And there's often strength in numbers sometimes, but that's not obviously. That's a general rule of thumb. But as we've seen in 2020 and 2021, it doesn't really matter sometimes if all the people are paid to lie. So, <laughs> um, but this study looks very, very interesting. A um, lot of really good sources cited. Um, a lot of doctors have come out recently and said the same thing, um, backing them up, doctors that I trust, doctors who have so much hands-on uh, um, activity treating people um, with COVID-19. So it's it seems very trustworthy, trustworthy to me. So very encouraging. Anything you want to say about that, Jake, or add to that? or? Nope. Nope. No. I definitely think that uh, natural immunity has been what we were saying, has been what, what a lot of people have been saying since the beginning, that, you know, trust natural immunity in this, this uh, vaccine is, is <laughs> not meant, and even this vaccine is not meant to give you immunity. It's yeah. just means mainly to get rid of side effects. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and it doesn't even do that. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right, and yep. and even more so, the vaccine makes it so you ca you cause more <clears throat> yeah. uh, cases because your viral load is more. Yep, you know. So yep, I definitely think natural immunity. And actually, I found out a lot more and more people that I've known um, don't have the vaccine. Yeah, and <clears throat> they've said they've been fine. They've gotten COVID, and mm. they've been fine. And yeah. some have even. Uh, said that uh, they've heard from a doctor that uh, they're they're most likely not going to get it again. Which nice, is very yeah. very nice. Yeah, but um, they go to yeah. a good doctor. <laughs> yeah, nice. So very cool. Definitely, natural immunity is though is is better than this man-made vaccine. And, yeah, you know, it's a it's a testament to God's creation. God mm. created us to yep. fend off viruses, you yep. know? So, yeah. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, that concludes our, not our show, our current events breakdown. <laughs> so um, let's move into the literature of the month. Here we go. This is this is very exciting. Um, I, I'll tell you what, this this week was, was really cool. Um, I had a little less time to read this week than I than I otherwise would have. But um, what I did read was very fascinating. And I loved how this week he really took a an, an historical approach to the problem of the government schools and really fleshed out why are we in this cultural revolution? Why are we in this situation that we're in today? Um, and you can you look no further than the truth of history um, 
to see why why we're in this situation. So it was very interesting. So we're going to be talking, I'm sure, a lot about that today. So as a reminder, our literature this month is uh, Millstones and Stumbling Blocks by Bradley Heath. And uh, this week we read chapters seven and eight coming to the end of the book. I mean, I think we're just over the middle, just over the hump. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good book. Um, and uh, as a reminder, our topic, our theme this month is the dangers and evils of the government school. So we're going to be weaving that in to our discussions today as well. Um, all right, so let's kick it off. We usually have a question and answer flow. So our first question, as always, is what did you find most interesting about the chapters? And Jake, we'll have you start things off. All righty. So I like the point made right in the beginning of the seventh chapter and how he talks about uh, the Puritans and how they made uh, learning and knowledge uh, things to strive for. Hmm. And I think this is something that should be brought up. Uh, as Christians, uh, we can't think that it is the world's job to strive after knowledge and it's the church's job to strive after spiritual wisdom. Yes. Even though, bo even though that is something that is good. <laughs> uh, I think it should be a merging of the two. It yeah. should be uh, both. Uh, yep. As Christians, we should strive to be smart people, but we must have the understanding that worldly knowledge is not the goal. Striving uh, to be an engineer is not wrong, but we must understand that all knowledge is under God. In Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Uh, one cannot truly know or understand knowledge without the fear of the Lord. So for someone, a school teacher, uh, to not believe in God and then teach knowledge doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because they don't, they can't understand knowledge because without the fear of the Lord, there is no knowledge. Nice. Exactly. Very cool. Yeah. 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 Thank you very much for, uh, for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so one thing that Heath discussed at length in these two chapters was the desertion of beliefs and theological doctrines simply because they were old and there were new revolutionary ways of thinking available. This led to a great weakening of the church in general. His point wasn't that it, it isn't a good idea to re-examine our beliefs and ensure we're following scripture, right? That wasn't his point. That's still a good idea. But during the Second Great Awakening, people deserted solid doctrine in favor of emotional sermons and doctrines that would make them feel better about themselves. Evangelicals at that time began to search for new ways to worship God that were less formal and more enjoyable for themselves. They created a sort of religion for the common man that was extremely watered down and lacked the strong roots of the Christian generations that preceded them. On page 75, Heath connects this cultural revolution with education and says, the abandonment of historical Protestantism for an innovative revivalism paralleled the abandonment of historical educational philosophies for the progressive schooling experiment. 19th century educators rejected tried and true educational paradigms at the same time that 19th century evangelicals rejected tried and true ecclesiastical paradigms. These uh, iconolastic cousins were spurred on by the rise of scientism, Darwinism, and popular democracy, such as technology will save us, newer is better, and the common man will decide for himself how he worships, uh, is educated, and is governed, end quote. 
Heath mentioned uh, Christ and his attack on the Pharisees and explained that Christ was not attacking the traditions that they held, but the watered-down worship, uh, which consisted of lip service only. They were hypocrites, speaking of God and his word without living it. For them, it was all about their own pride and comfortable lifestyle. Does that sound familiar? The meat of God's word and what his law pointed to was lost to them. They forsook the wisdom of their predecessors and created their own laws and religions so that they could live comfortable lives with special titles. Comfortable lives. That sounds kind of familiar. The result of this awakening is a system of education that is entirely unproductive and harmful to children. Heath sums this up quite well on page 77. He says that H.L. Mechon, not sure who that is, but uh, I really like his quote, so uh, that's probably why Heath included it, (laughs) Uh, hit close to the mark when he said, and this is uh, Mechon's quote, the aim of public education is not to spread enlightenment at all. It is simply to reduce as many individuals as possible to the same safe level, to breed a standard citizenry, and I love this next part, to put down dissent... So you listen to the right show then. Uh, and originality. And that is the end of Mechon's quote. But uh, uh, Heath went on to say, the caliber of educators available to 19th century public schools made it impossible to teach a rigorous academic curriculum on a mass scale. Many public school teachers had failed at other work or were teaching temporarily. The role of a schoolmaster was generally held in low esteem, poorly compensated, and hence unlikely to attract capable persons. Even a century later, with compulsory attendance, standardized teacher training, and extensive public relations, critics like Professor Richard Mitchell uh, still castigate the system. And then this is uh, Mitchell's quote, which is really good. Uh, It is only from a special point of view that public education is a failure. As to its own purposes... It is an unqualified success. This is kind of what we've, you know, we've said this a couple of weeks in a row now, but it's not failing. It's fulfilling its purpose quite well. It's, it's succeeding in what it was created to do. One of its purposes is to serve as a massive tax-supported jobs program for legions of not especially able or talented people. <laughs> as social programs go, it's a good one. The pay isn't high, but the risk is low and the standards are lenient. Entry is easy and job security is still pretty good end quote. Yeah, I love that quote. It was hilarious. <laughs> I was like dying laughing reading that. It's a massive, serves as a massive tax-supported jobs program for legions of not especially able or talented people. <laughs> that is the best way to define the government's goals. <laughs> yeah. So anything you wanted to, to add to that, Jake, before we moved on or? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Teachers don't have to be smart in order to teach. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yep. So it it's it's so true that that quote is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Cool. All right. Moving on to our next question. Um, what did you find most surprising? And again, this could be something you hadn't considered that way before. So you heard it one way um, before, but uh, Bradley Heath... Um, uh, talked about it a little bit differently. And so um, I'm going to kick this one off. And uh, my answer is I, I liked how in chapter seven, Heath connected the cultural revolution of the early to mid 1800s, which is the second great awakening, to the formation and ideation of the government schools and our modern education system in general. The overarching theme of the postmodern or post-Second Great Awakening education system we have today revolves, I believe, around two key ideas. The first is that there is no objective truth. 
Truth to them is whatever you make it to be. Children are prompted to make their own truth as long as that truth does not at all resemble the truth of God's word. Since they claim there is no objective truth, schools cannot teach anything that would seem to suggest otherwise or suggest that one way of thinking is better than any other way of thinking. Uh, the ridiculous thing here is that they've set themselves up as truth. From their worldview, they are the ultimate source of truth. And as we've stated before, neutrality is a myth. They tried to avoid an ultimate source of truth and oopsies, they just created a whole new one. It is impossible to be neutral. It does not and cannot exist. Neutrality does not and cannot exist in the realms of philosophy, theology, academics, or ethics. This way of thinking harms children in more ways than one. Instead of spending their earliest years of life growing in wisdom, they are given random facts in hopes that one day wisdom will follow. But as God tells us in his word, that is impossible. Proverbs 9 verse 10 tells us exactly where wisdom begins. And it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Without the foundation of God's word, we cannot hope to impart wisdom to the next generation. I'm glad Jake grabbed that verse a little earlier too. It's a really good verse. Um, learning random facts about the world and how we think it works from our own human understanding does little to prepare children to lead a successful lifestyle. Even the most basic practical things like managing a budget or communicating and empathizing with people of varying ages are not taught in the now traditional schooling environment. Children are given facts and knowledge without the wisdom required to apply those facts. The second idea that, gov that uh, governs the government schools is that as modern people, we should be trying to throw off the bonds of traditional ideas and any traditionally held beliefs. The idea of evolution led modern men to believe that since we are constantly evolving, we must naturally be more intelligent and more wise than all those that came before us. We scoff at those who came before us and arrogantly place the entirety of our trust in the machinations of man. We trust in the horses and chariots of scientism and secular logic and reasoning as if our hearts were the most trustworthy and steadfast thing in the world. This is insanity. Since Jeremiah 17 uh, verse 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And yet we're going to place all of our faith and trust in our own human heart, logic, and understanding. It's ridiculous insanity. As a result of this poisonous and vain philosophy, government schools only teach a fraction of what there is to learn from the word of God. And the tapestry of human existence that God created uh, that we call history... And only a fraction of that is actually taught in the government schools. Heath quotes a journalist named uh, Walter Lippmann on page 78 who says, and here's uh, his quote, It is easier to identify what modern education rejects than what it teaches. This strikes at the heart of education and makes one wonder if public schools can even function in a multicultural society, end quote. Uh, Heath goes on to say that, and here's his quote, secularism is a pathless wasteland without heritage, tradition, or monuments. As a result, public school children act as autonomous arbiters of truth, deciding for themselves what has value and meaning. Uh, this is not and cultural, or I'm sorry, enculturation or education. This is a moral uh, idiocracy, <laughs> idiocy, and cultural self-destruction, end quote. Man, I butchered that quote. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, he continues on page 79. 
The loss of Christian consensus has caused a growing cultural disunity and alienation. Public schools exasperate, exacerbate, good grief, exacerbate this cultural segregation, constantly emphasizing our ethnic differences by their obsession with multiculturalism and diversity. Um, I, I listened to a, a video, really short video. Um, I think it was Morgan Freeman, actually, uh, today. And his quote was amazing. And it, uh, he was being interviewed and, and the guy asked him, what do we do about racism? And then Morgan Freeman said, we stopped talking about it. <laughs> he said, I'm not a black man. You're not a white man. I want us to just be people. We are people. We need to stop seeing each other as identified by race. We are people. That was the vision of Martin Luther King Jr., right? That he, he wanted people to be judged on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. But that's what we're doing now, just in reverse. Now white people are the bad guys and black people are the... It's just, it's all mixed up. They're just fascinated. All they want to do is focus on external characteristics that don't matter in the least. Anyways, that was off of his quote, <laughs> which I thought was really good. Um, cool. Anything you want to add to that, Jake, before we move on? No, yeah, I saw that same video and I, I just loved that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was that was so good. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what? Morgan Freeman? That is so cool. All right. Um, final question. Here we go. What part of the reading do you think most applies to the theme of the month? And as a reminder, the theme of the month is the dangers and evils of the government schools. The dangers and evils of the government schools. And Jake, we'll have you kick it off. All right. So the dangers and evils of the government schools are not readily seen in the point I am making here, but I hope I can explain it well enough so it isn't confusing. Uh, I don't think it's too confusing, but uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. The dangers and evils of the public schools is that they have reprogrammed the children in the church. As Mr. Heath touched on in Chapter 8, the church used to be fighting against cultural ideologies like the Greek pantheon or mysticism. However, the churches stopped doing so because they think they should not be involved, and that is, and that is what has created such a fall in our churches, in our society, and in mm. the world. So, like my point above, that the public, the government schools have reprogrammed the children in the church. Why is the church allowing the children to go to the government schools in the first place? Yes. So, really, it is not necessarily the dangers and evils of the schools but the <laughs> laziness of the church that mm. is what has created a fall in our in our country yes yes awesome thank you for bringing that up that is a really good point i you can't under understate that point that is the most important issue today is that the churches remain silent and i'm going to be talking about that actually a lot more in this in this answer so very cool there we go we're talking about the same thing <laughs> all right so uh, my answer is uh, one of the greatest dangers and evils of the government schools is the fact that parents are entirely oblivious and blissfully ignorant of the damage that government schools and government indoctrination inflicts on innocent children. As Heath says on page 80, we will walk the souls off our shoes, electing another born-again president while letting our children be steeped in secularism at the local public school, end quote. Parents are either entirely ignorant or they don't want to know how bad government indoctrination camps really are. 
And it's not like this is a new form of evil. The civil government has been indoctrinating children for almost a century. The, lib the uh, LGBTQ agenda and critical racist theory are only the latest in a long line of despicable evils and downright bile being propagated and rigorously taught in the government schools. Heath asks an important question on page 81, and here's his quote. When will it dawn on hand-wringing evangelicals that public schools have been promoting the gay agenda for decades? Will we wonder, in our shocked pietism, how a majority of people became, uh, I'm sorry, came to the openness, tolerance, and diversity prerequisite to the acceptance of homosexual marriage, or accurately, more accurately, prerequisite to the rejection of biblical absolutes, right? Step one is they have to be uh, open. They have to be tolerant. They have to have so much diversity. That's what it's, that's their goal. That's what it's all about, right? And what does that lead to? It leads to a rejection of biblical absolutes, which is what we're seeing today. But what, what can we do? How can we fight back against this evil? How can we, as individuals, put a stop to the brainwashing indoctrination from the civil government that is taking place across the entire country? How can we face something that is actively stealing our money and using it to turn our own children against us? I mean, this is like George, well, George Orwell stuff. How do we go against generations of people, including Christians, who have fallen for one of the greatest lies of our time, that the civil government can capably provide free, quality, unbiased education to the masses. How do we stop the propagation of the lie that Christian children can be salt and light in the gulags without succumbing to the allure of their own sinful flesh, which is highly encouraged in these camps? How do we end the government schools? The answer is through our churches. American society is not changed from the top down. You cannot change the way people think by legislating, legislating or legalizing certain ideas. That's not possible. We don't want that to be possible. That's not a society that God would have us live in or create. But rather, legislation is affected and changed by the people in the other God-ordained governments. The church, family, and individual governments have to change before the civil government does, right? Those are the other three have to change before the civil government changes. Our churches must start preaching against this great evil if we are to even begin fighting back against it. Our churches right now are the weakest that they've ever been in centuries. The weakest they've been in centuries. Heath states this well on page 87 when he says, Historically, the church countered and conquered its enemies by proclaiming the truth in word and deed. We now act as if modern unbelief is so virulent we can no longer know truth. End quote. He goes on to say that the church prevails against darkness by embodying truth and its implications. We must live what we believe and demonstrate what we confess. End quote. Heath adds a reminder that we, and here's his quote, are surrounded by a post-Christian culture intent on sanitizing itself of all vestiges of Christianity. Yet many Christians indiscriminately use this ungodly culture to educate their children, entertain their families, and worship their God. End quote. This is not good. <laughs> We've lost the perspective described in Psalm 127, verses 3 and 5, which says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. 
That's the perspective, biblically. Children are like arrows in a quiver. They are, I mean, they, they are what continues the next generation. They are the best defense against evil when they're fully grown, right? That, that That's our hope, right? That, that training the next generation to be stronger than the previous generation should be the hope of the church. That should be where the church puts a large amount of its efforts. And yet currently, it's not even preached in the church, even on Sundays, that this is important, that this is vital, that sending them to the wicked is unacceptable behavior for a Christian. That's not even mentioned in the church. We, we haven't even begun to fight this. Before we can do anything, our churches need to wake up and start taking the fight back to the culture. This will not end until we do that. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Jake, before I move on? No, I just, yeah, it was a, that's a very true point. And I think it's just going off of what I was saying, my answer to question three, but that the churches aren't doing anything. Yeah. The real danger is not not necessarily the public schools, but the laziness of the church. Yes, yes. Yeah, and and the crazy thing is, so it, uh, Sunday, actually, and um, the pastor was talking about um, this one verse that talks about, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what he was saying was, was really interesting. He was talking about, you know, a lot of times people will read that passage and be like, you know, the church, you know, it's going to be rough. We're going to face persecution. It's going to be really hard. You know, the devil's going to be attacking us and we're just going to have to wait out the storm until Christ comes back and it's going to be really, really hard, but we're going to survive. That's what that means, right? And he was like, no, it says gate. Gate is not something that attacks you. A gate is typically something that's used to protect a city from people attacking it. What he was saying was a gate is something that is defense for whatever's coming at it. The church should be going after the gates of hell, attacking the gates of hell, pushing the boundaries, pushing the kingdom of God, going after the devil and his schemes. We shouldn't just be sitting back in our corners just waiting for Christ to come back. That's not, that, that, that is the complete opposite of that verse. That's saying the gates of hell will not prevail against you, which means you push against the gates of hell and they will crumble under the power of Christ. It's not, oh, let's just wait this out. We, there's nothing we can do really. No, <laughs> this is a culture war. And right now we're putting up our white flag. It's, it's despicable right now what some of the churches are doing, unfortunately. And until they change... We have no hope. We're not going to fight back unless the culture changes from the bottom up. All right. Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, that was, yep. It's all, all very, very true. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Jake, for uh, joining today and, and helping out. I'm glad at, at least you were able to make it. That's, that's yeah. awesome. Really looking forward to uh, also having Joe back at the game gang back together next week. So that'll be really cool. But um, yeah, this was this was a good episode. A little bit shorter than usual, but uh, a lot of really good content, I think. So, awesome. Yeah. Well, well I mean, uh, oh, go ahead. It's hitting our goal that we were striving for. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we haven't hit our goal in a long time for having a shorter oh, yeah. length episode. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> awesome. Well, 
thank you everyone for uh, listening to us or watching us today. We really appreciate it so much. Um, don't forget, you can share this show with as many people as you can find or as you know or as you want to uh, by going to our website, which is trdshow.net. And you can grab that link, share it with people. Please help us grow the audience of this show. We really want to spread the word about the Reform Dissenters. And the best way to do that is through our audience. So uh, we would love it if you could help us out with that. Thank you so much. You can also go to our website, again, trdshow.net, and you'll find a list of links to all of the many platforms that we're on, including pro-First Amendment platforms. So be sure to follow us on some of those to uh, help us uh, avoid the censorship of YouTube and big tech. Um, if you want to send us emails, whether that's words of encouragement or data or anything you'd like to send our way, you can do that by going to uh, sending your emails to trdshow at protonmail.com. Again, that's trdshow. It stands for The Reformed Dissenters. trdshow uh, at protonmail.com. And we'd love to uh, hear from you and read your emails. And uh, until next week, uh, we'll see you in the next episode. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do as unto the Lord. Thank you.